Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerrero. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 27th of July, 2021, and we're going to be continuing our discussion of amino acids and aging as it relates, of course, to the immune response. And uh, we're going to emphasize today the urea cycle. We're not going to talk a lot about potential malfunction of that cycle. We're just going to introduce it because I want to get to one of the metabolites in the urea cycle known as arginine, the amino acid L-arginine. And then we're going to spend the rest of this um, section of the lecture on arginine and very interesting new paper that came out about it uh, related to nitric oxide synthase, of course. So let's get to this discussion. So I'm going to call the, this lecture today the urea cycle and arginine nitric oxide connection. Again, Danguera, and this is Authentic Biochemistry. So we have this uh, urea that we have to excrete. It's the, it's the way that we remove nitrogen from the body. So how does that occur is the important issue. Well, simply put, bicarbonate and ammonium, and we know that ammonium can come from deamination and potentially from interactive transamination reactions. But at any rate, bicarbonate and ammonium ion, that's an H4 plus, uh, and the in the presence of two moles of ATP, which will drive the reaction to make carbamoyl phosphate. So that's the carbonyl associated with it as a phosphate ester. Uh, and then that linked to simply nitrogen at the level of NH2. That's phosphate. Now, what that will do is enter the urea cycle, and we'll go through it in uh, more detail, but basically you, go, you synthesize citrulline, which is a non-protein amino acid. Aspartate is added, and you make arginosuccinate as an intermediate in the urea cycle. Uh, following along, then, the, the next stage is the, um, sorry, here I've got a, a loss of fumarate, and then that produces arginine. So arginine then is catabolized to urea and ornithine, and then ornithine recombines with carbamyl phosphate to make citrulline. So that's the cycle. Citrulline at aspartate, arginosuccinate, arginosuccinate loses fumarate, which can go right to the TCA cycle. Uh, same reaction will then produce arginine, Arginine then in the cycle will use lose urea, synthesize ornithine. That's also a non-protein amino acid. Then ornithine will combine with the carbamyl phosphate to make citrulline. And the cycle starts over. Okay, so I want to make sure that you understand now. More detail. Let's go through the cycle. Okay, first of all, very first thing, carbon dioxide provides the carbon atom of urea. And then free ammonia, and now it's going to be the ammonium ion, it's going to be dissolved ammonia gas to NH4+, plus, is going to, of course, provide the nitrogen. And you're going to use those two ATPs. Remember, that's how your, the whole process occurs. So you're going to generate a couple of uh, uh, two ATP, will, will be converted to two ATP and PI, and also you will produce three protons. So it will acidify the medium slightly. This is all happening in the mitochondrion. Now, the enzyme that carries out the reaction is called carbamyl phosphate synthetase 1. Remember, we call it a synthetase when you hydrolyze ATP. 
And that enzyme actually has an absolute requirement for a analysteric stimulant known as N-acetylglutamic acid. And that in fact acts as its allosteric activator. More on that later. The carbamylophosphate then, as I said, will then combine with L-ornithine. This is all happening in the mitochondrial matrix. That enzyme is called ornithine transcarbamylase. And that's how you make citrulline. Citrulline is then transported out of the mitochondria. Now we're in the cytoplasm. And the next reaction that occurs is the addition of aspartic acid. So the amino group of aspartate provides the other nitrogen atom of urea. So now that reaction is known as arachnosuccinate synthase. And it's not called a synthetase because it takes ATP all the way to AMP and PPI. So arachnosuccinate is formed. That intermediate then is metabolized via arachnosuccinate lyase to fumarate, which can go on through the TCA cycle to make malate and then OAA. Uh, once, it, once the fumarate is put back into the mitochondria, or malic acid itself can re-enter it, or in fact, indeed, a malic reaction can ultimately synthesize oxalacetic acid. We'll get into that in a moment because I want to finish up the urea cycle. And anyways, fumarate is made by the arginosuccinate lyase, and then you have L-arginine. So uh, many tissues, in addition to the liver, use this pathway, actually, to, to provide arginine for uh protein biosynthesis, and for the utilization of things like nitric oxide synthesis. Uh, what the normal phase for arginine in the urea cycle, though, the arginase enzyme will then pass water over that uh, carbon-nitrogen bond. You're going to make urea, uh, and then you're going to also make ornithine. The ornithine then will be transported into the mitochondrion because uh, citrulline leaves, and then you're back to the beginning of the cycle again. Now, back to this whole discussion of malate. When fumarate is synthesized by the arachnosuccinate lyase, malate can be converted to oxalacetic acid, as I just said. Now, this is in the cytoplasm. <clears throat> OAA then will go through the glutamate, alpha-ketoglutarate, OAA, L-aspartate, transaminase, Right? That's the GOT enzyme I talked about last time. So OAA plus glutamate will make alpha-KG and aspartate. That now, de novo synthesized aspartate, can be picked up by the arachnosuccinate synthase to make arachnosuccinate. So when the cycle is fully functioning, functioning, the OAA and the malate do not uh, get transported or the reducing equivalents don't get transported, or and also they're not used for gluconeogenesis, transported to the mitochondria of this, and they're not utilized for gluconeogenesis in the cytosol. They're just used to burn through the urea cycle by resynthesis of aspartate. So that's the process, uh, relatively quickly, but you get the whole idea now. Now, this is a paper I, I mentioned I'm going to talk about. It's, called, it's in a journal called Biomedicines, published in 2020 in August. And it tells, talks about arginine, and it tells you that the correct um, chemical name for arginine is 2-amino-5-guanidino-pentanoic acid, okay? And it derives from the word apirpok, which is uh, the Greek word for silver. And that, could, of course, then gets translated to arginine. Now, why is it given the Greek word for silver? 
It's because when they pur- first purified arginine, they purified it as arginine nitrate, and the crystals that were formed from that purification in the laboratory had a pure uh, silver color. So that's why it's called that, you see. So arginine is, of course, a substrate for a series of reactions leading to the synthesis of a lot of other amino acids. It's also a substrate for two enzymes, uh, which we're now going to get into, nitric oxide synthase, and of course, the one we just mentioned, arginase in the urea cycle. And indeed, the whole process there means that the utilization or consumption of arginine is absolutely necessary for nitric oxide synthesis as well as urea metabolism. That is the excretion of um, metabolic nitrogen. So arginine is, of course, the substrate for nitric oxide production. And we know many places where NO is produced, and one of them is in endothelial cells, where it's going to play a major role in vasodilation. So basically, arginine consumption for nitric oxide synthesis in the endothelia regulates vascular tone and uh, indirectly, depending on where that vascular tone is occurring, cardiovascular homeostasis. So I've reported here in authentic biochemistry in the past that nitric oxide is synthesized, of course, by, from arginine by an enzyme called NOS, or nitric oxide synthase. And as the reaction involves a transfer of electrons from nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate, NADPH, via a flavin adenine dinucleotide, FAD, and a flavin mononucleotide, FMN, in the C-terminal reductase domain of the heme in the nitrogen terminal oxygenase domain, where the arginine is ultimately oxidized to citrulline and NO. Now, I know I've talked about that in the past. So I've also lectured to you on the important role of arginine in T-cell proliferation, We'll get back into that soon, of course. Arginine, um, a couple of other things just to, to, to sweep everything together, is essential for the production of creatine, uh, which, as we know, is a uh, creatine phosphate is a storage form of high phosphoryl group transfer potential in muscle. But arginine is also essential for collagen biosynthesis. And I talked about this, oh, wow, probably a year ago when we were talking all about collagen and collagen um, differential expression and the potential for different kinds of cancer from uh, the dysmetabolism of collagen biosynthesis. That was another story. I'm remembering that now. Very interesting story. So in terms back of now the NOS, we have an endothelial NOS. We call that E-NOS. We have the neuronal, that's N-NOS. And then we have, uh, and though both of those are basically constitutionally expressed, and then we have the INOS, which means inducible. And the induction usually is associated with a pro-inflammatory uh, response, usually to pro-inflammatory cytokines, uh, like IL-2 or IL-1-beta being common. But the other ones that are pro-inflammatory also can function in this way. So NO generation occurs in two steps. First, NOS, the enzyme, hydroxylates arginine to N-omega-hydroxyarginine, which then remains largely bound to the enzyme backbone. But in the second step, NOS oxidizes that N-hydroxyarginine, uh, okay? And when that oxidation occurs, the products fall out, and that citrulline, the non-essential, the non-essential and also non-protein 
amino acid citrulline. And of course, the other product is nitric oxide. Okay. So, and molecular oxygen, remember, is necessary for this reaction, as is NADPH. Okay. So, NOS catalyzed the transformation of arginine, oxygen, and NADPH, derived electrons to NO in citrulline. And in atherosclerosis and diabetes, uh, those two uh, age associated diseases often the NOS function we find to be corrupted. And the enzyme actually catalyzes the reduction of oxygen to superoxide anion, okay? Now that's a phenomena that's generally referred to as NOS uncoupling. And it's been linked, among other things, to a limitation of the availability of one of the cofactors for the enzyme. That is, of course, BH4, or tetrahydrobiopterin. has another name. It's called saproterin in some of the literatures, just so you know. Now, the donation of the electron from BH4 to produce a transient BH4 dot uh, positive, that is cation, cationic form, um, and that's a radical, is required for the oxidation of arginine to citrulline and the associated formation of ferrous iron NO complex at the NOS heme catalytic site. So BH4 is synthesized, of course, um, if we look at back at the synthesis of BH4, that's tetrahydrobiopterin, comes from um, guanosine triphosphate. And you synthesize BH4 by the GTP cyclohydrolase 1 enzyme. And you get a recycling through 7,8-dihydrobiopterin, which is BH2. And that's conducted by a folic acid enzyme known as the hydrofolate reductase. So NOS is inhibited by arginine analogs. And specifically, they are substituted at the guanidino nitrogen atom. One of these NOS inhibitors is known as NG-monomethyl arginine or NG-nitroarginine. Yeah. Two analogs will inhibit it. So the urea cycle arginine is actually converted by arginase. Uh, that itself is a manganese metalloenzyme. And uh, it's involved, of course, in the, in the uh, metabolism of ornithine and urea. Now, this cycle is crucial not only for the following, uh, that is the urea cycle and urea, urea excretion, but it's also very necessary to produce bicarbonate, which, as we know, is critical for maintaining the acid-base homeostasis because of all the protons are generated from a lot of oxidative metabolism. So arginase exists in two distinct forms, one and two. They share about only 60% sequence homology. So arginase one is actually that cytosolic enzyme I was talking about, the urea cycle mainly localized, of course, in a certain tissue, that would be the liver, where most urea cycle occurs, whereas arginase 2 is in the mitochondria. It has a wide distribution in the body, and particularly it's expressed uh, rather abundantly in the kidney, but also in the prostate, in the GI tract, and in the vasculature. Okay. Now, the enzyme arginase is a key modulator of NO production. It does this by competing for arginine course. So another way of looking at it is nitric oxide generation is dependent on the relative expression and activities of two enzymes, 
arginase and nitric oxide synthase. Now, to be more specific, increased arginine activity may lead to a decreased bioavailability of arginine for NOS, thereby you might diminish NO production. That mechanism has emerged as an essential factor underlying impaired endothelial functions, as it turns out. Specifically, an increased arginase activity in the endothelia is associated with endothelial dysfunction. And you see this in a number of experimental models that are looking at human diseases. Those experimental models, of course, are going to be in rodents. But the, the diseases that are looking at this dysfunction, which is associated with the endothelia, are hypertension, atherosclerosis, T2D, as type 2 diabetes, and all important for all the lectures we've been doing, aging. Aging. We can look at this from multiple points of view, but you can describe a, a, a healthy endothelium, okay? And that is, and if we look at just now um, arginine metabolism in, in healthy endothelia, what you're going to get is the final end product is vasodilation. So you're gonna have NOS bound to BH4 and in the presence of molecular oxygen and NADPH, you, uh, our, uh, and of course arginine, you're going to uh, uh, you're going to make citrulline and nitric oxide. That nitric oxide, because it is a gas, will then be released directly from the cytoplasm, and it will induce vasodilation. Now, there's a specific mechanism for that, which I'm not talking about right now because I don't want to. Um, uh, bore you with too many details and also confusion. Now, a dysfunctional endothelium, you don't make nitric oxide. So vasodilation is inhibited in that system. That's a very bad thing because without vasodilation, you can't increase blood flow, right? So there's multiple ways where this can occur. One is that arginine can't get into the cell, and that means it's a sub there's a problem with the transporter, but also, if you, if you, when you limit arginine, what happens is that the nitric oxide synthase will work with the dihydrobiopterin because tetrahydrobiopterin will not be um, con uh, converted to uh, its, its important form for the, the uh, reaction, but rather will remain as a hydrobiopterin when NOS is bound to BH2, what you make is superoxide, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. So that means the whole process doesn't work. Arginine doesn't become a substrate. Citrulline and nitric oxide aren't made, no vasodilation. So it's a problem. Now, if you supplement with arginine, you flood the system, you make it through those uh, the, the amino acid channel to be able to get in there. And what happens is that because you have super high levels of arginine, you're going to be able to take the NOS protein and react it with the arginine and make uh, citrulline and nitric oxide and you therefore increase vasodilation. In fact, one of the ways that works is that arginine high enough concentrations will inhibit tetrahydrobiopterin from being converted to dihydrobiopterin. So maintaining the BH4 will maintain the, uh, the NOS reaction therefore synthesizing citrulline and nitric oxide and increasing vasodilation. 
So that's the reason that arginine supplementation is sometimes called on. You need to bring that back up. So one way of looking at endothelial dysfunction, um, when you're thinking of pathology, is indeed a leading cause of many pathophysiological conditions. And they affect multiple systems, cardiovascular system. For example, components of that would include hypertension, atherosclerosis, diabetes, and also atherothrombosis. So a lot of ground covered just by looking at endothelial function. So again, remember the systematic manifestation observed in many uh, processes seem to be associated with sufficient amount of vasodilation in the pulmonary system, okay? So yes, indeed, the systemic manifestations observed in coronavirus disease, which is, of course, the cause of what makes a person ill, or at least it's related to the cause that makes some people ill. And that is, of course, severe acute respiratory uh, syndrome. Okay, so when you have acute respiratory syndrome associated with COVID, it is all explained by the fact that you have an endothelial dysfunction. Indeed, alterations in the endothelial uh, function. Now, this is not discussing and bringing on board all the immune systems I've talked about uh, early in 2020 and throughout 2020 into 2021 about the pathophysiology of COVID. Right now, I'm just giving you the point of view of looking at uh, nitric oxide. Anyways, alterations in endothelial function are linked to hypertension, as I just said, and hypertension, diabetes, thromboembolism, kidney failure, all of those are featured to various extents in COVID-19 morbidity in patients in the hospital. Okay? So if you already have a precondition like that, diabetes, thromboembolism, and kidney failure, then you're already poised to have a negative response to a viral infection, particularly upper respiratory infections, such as those caused by coronaviruses and influenza. So an increasing interest in the potential therapeutic effect of arginine supplementation is also involved in COVID uh, because, because this is a new uh, disease that's come on board. But it, arginine supplementation has been looked at for many years for cardiovascular disorders. So that's where the literature is mostly. Uh, well documented. Indeed, an impaired anosynthesis is considered the main, if not, well, a main, if not the main feature of dysfunctional endothelium. Um, but the problem is that when you look at arginine supplementation in healthy subjects, you don't necessarily see an increase in nitric oxide production. Now, there's a reason for that, and I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes. But to give you an example, Daily administration of L-arginine for a week had no effect on serum concentration of two established indicators of nitric oxide production. Um, namely, those are nitrite and nitrate. And this was in a very small study, but still you saw no effect from arginine being used to produce NO because you didn't see the byproducts of NO metabolism, NO2 minus and NO3 minus. But in another study, 20 healthy subjects received daily arginine supplementation in both a sustained release 
and in an immediate release form. And despite the significant increases in plasma arginine, which were, of course, measured, um, and the, which proved uh, the effectiveness of administration protocol, the authors could find no significant difference in urinary uh, uh, secretion, that is, excretion of nitrate, which, of course, as I told you, is the byproduct of nitric oxide metabolism. So there is some argument against employment of NO synthesis machinery itself, and it's basically centers around the fact that you may well already be saturated on that enzyme with endogenous arginine. So why would you need more, you see? Now, we've, we've looked at this. Researchers have looked at this. And they, of course, have measured the Michaelis-Menten-KM for nitric oxide synthase. And it's in a micromolar range. In fact, values between 2.5 to about 3.5. So standard um, KM for enosynthase without any allosteric effectors or anything else unusual about subcellular association with other complexes, about 2.9 micromole per liter. That's your typical KM. So arginine plasma levels, are, when they're measured in healthy humans, is a 15 to 34 higher than that KM. So that makes people believe that, well, why would adding extra arginine as a supplement do anything? Because you're way above that concentration of substrate that would be uh, ever become a limiting factor for the enzymatic reaction to proceed to ultimately make NO. But the big caveat here, and I, you know where I'm going to be leading here, this, these studies, whenever you look at something that's in the serum, whenever you measure something like an amino acid or a stress compound or even a lipoprotein or a pro-inflammatory cytokine, the big caveat is that's what you're measuring in circulation, in serum, or in whole blood. But how much is actually bioconcentrated in tissues or in some other uh, regions of the body in the periphery or in, even in the central nervous system that can have an increase in the concentration based on uh, uptake and sequestration? So I've explained that serum levels of circulating metabolites is only a rough estimate of specific cellular concentrations. And unfortunately, this is a um, publication error that you often see, and I've seen it countless times. So besides that obvious flaw just in logic in terms of mass flow, the induction of nitric oxide synthase transcription and translation will also obviously impact it because with more protein molecules, you're going to be able to take on a higher load of substrate that is L-arginine. And that's going to be a measure of the Vmax, right? Um, so the Vmax is affected by enzyme concentration. The KM value is, of course, affected by the substrate concentration. That's why michaelis metten constants are so powerful because they measured two broad strokes of enzymology. So more enzyme protein, you get more arginine transformation to nitric oxide and citrulline, all things being equal, right? unless there's some kind of feedback regulation, which there can be, or some subcellular sequestration, as I said, or an inhibitor, uh, and we'll talk about that soon. So besides all this discussion of biochemical ratio, uh, which in fact makes the enzyme physiologically saturated when you think about it, 
Many studies have shown, nevertheless, beneficial effects of arginine supplementation in the healthy. So you have to account for that. I think I kind of already have by talking about the arginine preventing BH2 accumulation as dihydrobiopterin from tetrahydrobiopterin. So if you keep it in the BH4 state, you're going to be able to induce that NOS reaction as long as there's adequate amount of arginine and therefore you're going to make nitric oxide and you're going to get vasodilation. Remember that whole story I just mentioned to you. So a lot of other things to consider. Um, arginine supplementation it has been tested in athletes and vasodilation favors muscle perfusion and nutrient and indeed uh, O2 delivery during exercises. So enhancing ultimately muscle strength and recovery after long-term endurance activity. Controversial results do come, uh, and sometimes you yield no effects of marketing supplementation on muscle performance, and sometimes you find a tremendous increased improvement in exercise capability. And that phenomenon has a name, and I'm going to leave you with that this evening. Uh, it's called the arginine paradox, because it seems like at high enough concentrations, arginine does have an effect on muscle performance, which again, Looks like it's a paradox, but like everything in biochemical systems, it's not really a paradox. It's a pseudo paradox. That is, it appears to be one, but upon closer association with understanding of all the parameters involved, it is not a paradox at all. Uh, and indeed, because we can account for this um, superproduction of BH4 against the BH2. Um, moiety, and that's going to allow for the catalysis to occur at the nitric oxide synthase level, and therefore you're not going to get the problem. Dan Guerra, bye for now.